how do we start this? Um, I'll go first. You follow my lead. Okay. How's that sound? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm Kat. I'm Taylor. And welcome to Square Mile of Murder. Hello. Hey. We've got a fun story for you this week. Before we actually get into the crime. Into the story that we're here to tell you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, we have no script for this week. Because I slightly dislodged a very important joint that holds your spine and your pelvis together. <laughs> yeah, I kind of dislodged mine and couldn't walk properly for four days. Or oh, five days. I don't know, it all rolled into one. A lot of days, basically. Yeah. And as a result, I didn't really get a chance to write the script because I couldn't sit comfortably. And until just before we started recording, it didn't really occur to me to try and write it on my phone. <laughs> um, so what I did was I wrote all my notes out in a notebook. And I was like, remember that time... Taylor, when you lost your voice and so I just wrote the script and I just told the story mm -hmm. and you mm -hmm. kind of chimed in when you felt like it. Mm -hmm. It's like, we can just do that today. Yeah. So here we are. Yeah. And, um, yeah. It's actually good timing because right before we started recording tonight, I got a splitting migraine and so I... I'm not wearing my glasses, and yeah, just sort of thoroughly out of it. So I'm just gonna yeah. sit back and listen. So yeah, let's uh, let's uh, let's try this. Uh, so today I'm gonna tell Taylor and all of you the story of La Voisin, who was 17th century. France's murderous fortune teller, who mm. also played a part in The Affair of the Poisons, mm. which sounds like a band name. <laughs> yeah. Like, like I want to be in that band. I mean, not because I can't play any instruments anymore, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> unless they need like a clarinet player, then I'm, <laughs> then I'm in. <laughs> so specific. <laughs> that's all i can play i used to play violin yeah but i can't remember how to play it yeah. <laughs> well i know how i can remember how in theory but i can't remember all the the hand positions clarinet's a lot easier to pick up <laughs> that's true got the buttons and everything yeah the keys yes the keys that's right mm. yeah i used to play saxophone yeah. so it's a similar kind of thing like i can pick mm -hmm. one up and kind of honk out some notes but yeah, I'm gonna, I'd have to like go through like the beginner's book yes. to remember all the <laughs> yeah. the key positions again. But yeah, so unless unless someone needs like a very mediocre clarinetist <laughs> and saxophonist, we will not be in a band called The Affair of the Poisons. No, no, I don't think so. Um. So yeah, we'll try and tell you the the actual story. So La Voisin was born Catherine. Deschamps yeah. in 1640 in France. So little is known about her childhood um, and early life, which believed that she kind of grew up in kind of abject poverty, very hard life, but 
you know, poor working class people's stories weren't recorded. They're still not really recorded now, but definitely not 400 years ago. Yeah. Um, but what we do know about her childhood is that she had a talent for reading people and learned to tell fortunes. And she did a thing called cold readings, mm. which is where she could, well, suppose it depends if you, how much you, faith you put in fortune telling, yeah. but where she could, you know, just kind of look at someone or be around someone and kind of tell their fortune and what their life was like just from that. Yeah. Um, and at some point in her sort of mid to late teens, she married a man named Antoine Monvoisson, who was a jeweler and silk merchant in Paris. Um, but he wasn't a very good one. Oh, no. And so around the age of 20, I couldn't find out how old he was. I assume he was an old, like quite an, well, not quite old, but much older uh-huh. than her. Yeah. Um, but when she was 20, her husband's business went bankrupt. Oops. And so Catherine had to find work to, you know, support the family. And um, she did that by fortune telling. She did palm reading and face reading. So I didn't know face that was a thing. Reading. So, you know, like palm reading, you read your, your lines, lines and everything. Yeah. And well, there's a similar thing with like face reading. So it's like, do you read the wrinkles or just the face? Just like the shape and the, oh. the, the way a face looks and possibly in older people, the wrinkles. Like one of your eyes is to do with siblings. Oh, so I should um, I should not have an eye then, right? You should have an eye patch because you are an only child. <laughs> um, um, I so it like it's all branded like pseudoscience now, um, but it's it is literally like judging someone by their facial features and appearance. Yeah. Um, but I can't. I saw, I did sort of a brief Google search, yeah. but the main thing that came up is like, you know how if you've got spots on like a certain part of your face, it's because there's a blockage in your liver or oh, yeah, yeah, your, your kidneys are out of balance or something like that. Or like, yeah, if you like press that one f- spot on the bottom of your foot, you can like, f- yeah, flush your spleen or something random like that. Mm. Well, yeah, so the fate, that was the... That was what was coming up every time I was like trying to find anything to do with face reading. Uh, was like, oh, if you've got red, you know, a red patch here or a spot in this place, it's to do with this internal organ or that internal organ. So I couldn't find much about actual face reading. It sounds kind of like f- what is it? Phrenology, the like skull reading. So it is called physiognomy. Physiogon- physiognomy. Oh. P-H-Y-S-I-O-G-N-O-M-Y. Ooh, yeah, it got, got crazy at the end there. The practice of assessing a person's character or personality from their outer appearance. Yeah. Especially the face. Mm. <laughs> huh, cool. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it's like palm reading and everything. It's, it's considered a pseudoscience. Yeah. But, uh... But La Voisin, she was good at it. And uh, she built up quite a successful business. And um, she specialised in palm and face readings 
for sort of upper class depressed women in bad marriages. <laughs> wow, what now, a, what a niche like to a, corner. Well, it sounds like a niche, but in Paris in the 17th century, there were a lot of these people, apparently. That's that that tracks. Well, when you think like it's a time before sort of marrying for love, everything was arranged, especially in the upper classes. Yeah. Um. This is this is before the French Revolution as well. Yeah. So you know, people just weren't having a good time of it. <laughs> um, but she uh, she would teach women how to better their marriages or how to escape their marriages at a time when divorce wasn't really a thing. Hmm. You picking up what I'm putting down? Interesting. Hmm. Now, sort of early on in her career, the uh, the Catholic Church in France were very suspicious. <laughs> very suspicious. You know, this this independent woman earning money for the family, dabbling in what they called black magic of reading palms. She did dabble in black magic, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> um, but uh, Lavoisin, she convinced theology professors, professors at uh, the Sorbonne Institute or University in Paris that her powers were bestowed unto her by God. Oh. And she just used her faith to help others and they ate that up <laughs> and so she essentially had like the church's blessing to carry on doing this wow yeah and so yeah this this palm reading and face reading developed into a very successful black magic business nice she started you know a bit of herbology here and there you know, a few home remedies into potions, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. inheritance powders. Mm. 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 Or, you know, if, if someone wanted uh, a man to fall in love with her, because, I mean, her client base, I think, was almost exclusively women. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if they wanted, they wanted a nice husband, oh, here's this, this love potion, here's this aphrodisiac, you know? <laughs> Because she, she'd gone from just telling fortunes to helping them change their fortunes. Mm. See? It's a good way to keep yeah. getting business. Yeah. What you foretell comes true. I mean, I, yeah, well, I told you your fortune then, but here's all these other things you could buy from me and then come back in a month and I'll see what your fortune looks like then. Yeah, 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 see? I mean, because otherwise, fortune telling is just kind of like one and done, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, you've only got the one... Well, in theory. Yeah. And um, she kept going, kept mm -hmm. pushing the boundaries. Mm -hmm. So she, uh, as, along with her sort of upper class female clientele, she also uh, did some work for some priests. Oh, yeah. And uh, used that to blackmail them. Oh, good. Yeah, that seems right. Yeah, in into... Uh, helping her perform black masses, which were, you know, complete inversion of anything Catholic. Huh. Uh, where, uh, you know, she used uh, naked women as altars and spilled the blood of newborns. Oh. 
Allegedly. Yeah. Um, now, even for a fortune teller and herbologist and black magic practitioner of her standing, mm-hmm. newborn blood might still be a bit difficult to come to. Yeah. You know, to come from, you know, how, how, how does one go about getting newborn blood? Well, she opened a home for unwed mothers. Oh, boy. And began working as a midwife and an abortionist. Ah. Yes, very topical. Yes. Um, so she would, so she had this, this home for unwed mothers. And so she would charge, you know, like the upper class ladies who couldn't afford the scandal of, you know, a child out of wedlock. Mm-hmm. So she would charge them extra. And then, like, poor and lower class women who just couldn't afford another baby, she would, like, give them a place to stay for free. Hmm. So it's kind of like a Robin Hood complex. Yeah, it seems good. Like, sources vary, as they always do in, like, these old cases. Mm-hmm. So some sources say that she told the women, the women who gave birth at the home for unwed mothers, that she would, like, sort out adoption uh, for the babies. Uh-huh. And others say that not all these babies died. Uh. And we used in the rituals. Uh. I'm not sure either extreme is true. Yeah, that seems... Yeah. Yeah. Like, somebody at some point's got to notice. You would think, yeah. You would think. But this fortune-telling, black magic, poison, abortion business lasted for nearly 20 years. Damn. Nice. I mean, the the 17th century in France, I mean, everyone was having affairs left, right, and center. <laughs> even even Lavoisin, she, she was known to have at least six lovers outside of her own marriage. Nice. Um... But yeah, it wasn't. Um, yeah, the the black masses and the sacrificing children and the abortions wasn't actually what brought her down. Oh. It was the poison. Mm. So, um, so again, sources very. Some say that she like poisoning was like part of it from the beginning when she started with the the home you know, the herbology and the home remedies and everything. And others say it was kind of like the last step after fortune telling, potions, abortions and black masses. Mm -hmm. Then poisoning was like the final straw. (laughs) So we don't know how long she was actually in the poison business for. Yeah, that's fair. But it's almost 20 years between her husband going bankrupt and her being arrested. At which point she seemingly was the soul of a main provider for the family. Yeah. And like 17th century Europe, poisoning was happening everywhere. I mean, we're talking, we're only like 20 years after Julia Tofana. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, Aqua Tofana, mm-hmm. which we did an episode on ages ago. I think it was in the 70s. Or the 40s. It was either like 74 or 47. I have no idea. Um, (laughs) 
So yeah. And men were very, very scared of poison. Because previously, men had the upper hand, literally, you know. They didn't like a woman. Yep, femicide, no problem. Yeah. Women, you know, women didn't have the strength or the agency or anything to fight back. You know, allegedly. Mm-hmm. Now, with poison being just a regular thing, and things like ars- like arsenic was in like everyday products all the time. Mm-hmm. In like the 17th, 18th, 19th century. So men were really scared that, oh, maybe being an abusive piece of shit might come back to bite me. <laughs> maybe. So instead of changing their ways and not being abusive to their wives, they just decided they had to like find every, every bit of poison and make sure women couldn't get their hands on it. Sure, sure. Sure, sure. Um... Which is why there were, you know, law enforcement didn't really care about the dead babies, allegedly dead babies, the abortions, all the black, the black magic. It was the poison, the actual physical potions in this dimension. That's what they were scared of. <laughs> um, and I mean, they kind of had good reason because, according to you know history. Lavoisin created an underground network of poisoners in 17th century Paris. And this this poison network was rumoured to be made up of at least 400 poisoners oh, in Paris. Damn. In like the 1660s, 1670s. So basically like, never let anyone prepare your food or drink in... 1600s Paris. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know what the population of Paris was way like back 500? then. Like 500? Who knows? <laughs> no, it's more than that, but like that's a yeah, good chunk in, of people. Yeah. And in the 1670s, there was lots of poisoners were being arrested or alleged poisoners <laughs> or alleged witches. Mm. There was a lot of witch hunting going on Mm -hmm. and at the same time sort of parallel to this there was fears of witches who were kidnapping and sacrificing young children in their like black magic rituals so there was like civil unrest about that there was a fear of poison and then here's la voice in just right in the middle of all of it yeah yeah she's just sitting right in the center of it all Mm -hmm. which uh which brings us nicely on to the affair of the poisons. Ew. Not our clarinet and saxophone band. No, unfortunately sadly. enough. Yeah. Um, so, the affair of the poisons was a scandal that rocked the aristocracy in Paris in the late 1670s. Now, I'm not going to go right into it because, one, it would take too long, and two, I didn't write the original bit up. <laughs> so we'll get to the bit that just kind of concerns the voicing because it's the main part of it. Mm-hmm. So in 1677, I think it was, the king, Louis the Fourteenth, the Sun King, mm-hmm. Sun King, King, Sun King. <laughs> the Sun King. Mm-hmm. That's the word. <laughs> Z, 
the two words, not one <laughs> word that my brain tries to make it. Mm. The Sun King, his sister-in-law was, uh, died and it was attributed to poison. And there was a poisoner who was executed because of it. Mm-hmm. She was called Marie or Marie. Um, there's yeah, there's a lot, a lot of Maries and Maries, <laughs> depending how on your pronunciation. Yes. Uh, crop up in 17th century Paris, and they're all poisoners. Oh, well, easy to tell them apart that way, though, right? Yeah. Um. So she was like fresh in everyone's mind. While there was all these riots and unrest about these imaginary witches stealing babies out of cribs. Mm. And uh, in January 1979, no, in January 1679, not 1976. Oh, no. That would be a very long poison affair. Yeah, right. In January 1679... Uh, Marie Bose and Marie Vigoreau, uh, who were both poisoners slash witches slash fortune tellers, uh, were arrested and tortured. And this is when they made these claims about this this four hundred plus strong poison network mm-hmm. operating in Paris, mm-hmm. and they implicated Catherine Monvoison. Levoisen. And two months later, in March 1679, Levoisen was arrested and imprisoned. Now, interestingly, the, the king did sign like a warrant type of thing allowing for her torture, mm-hmm. but they didn't torture her. Oh. Because uh, she was an alcoholic. Oh. Had very bad problems with alcoholism. And um, so instead of torturing her, they just got her drunk. Well. And just kept her perpetually drunk just for months. Jesus. She was just continuously drunk. um, So that she would spill her secrets. Which she did. Uh-huh. And um, she named, you know, many clients who was trying to off who in, you know, the upper classes of Parisian society. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. And actually, this this uh, this history of alcoholism had actually led to quite a few conflicts with Marie Bose, mm. who was one of the Maries who named her yeah. as being at the centre of this poison network. Um, and yeah, they they were rival poisoners, and you know, supposedly, uh, Lavoisin's. Uh, history of alcoholism had led to lots of fights and conflicts between her and Marie Bose. Mm-hmm. So, maybe that's why she implicated her. Could be. Also, you know, she was just a snitch who wanted to be, it would do anything to try and lessen her punishment or get out. And she actually died being tortured in prison. Yeah. So she didn't gain anything from implicating everyone else. Yeah. But yeah, so she was actually held... Um, until February 1680, mm-hmm. when she finally went on trial for witchcraft, not for poisoning or anything. Oh, interesting. And she was found guilty and executed two days later by being burned at the stake. Shit. Yeah. Ouch. Um, yeah. 
and they're like, so she wasn't tortured before her trial, but apparently in the two days between being found guilty and being burned at the stake, she was tortured relentlessly, allegedly. Um, But during her time inebriated in prison, she, one of the clients she named was Madame de Montespan. Ah. Um, But this wasn't really acted upon until after her death. Um, But we'll get to that in a minute. Uh So, along with Lavoisin and Mary Bose, Mary Vigoreau, there were um, 442 people were implicated as being part of this poison network. Wow. The arrests were ordered of 367. Of that, 218 were actually arrested. Wow. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, February eight, uh, 1680, uh, Lavoisin was executed. But in July 1680, her daughter... Marguerite Monvoison, mm-hmm. who was also arrested as part of this poison network, um, she revealed that Madame de Monaspan had been one of her mother's clients. And the reason this is so important is because Montespan, Monaspan, however you say it, <laughs> um, she was a King Louis the Fourteenth's official mistress. She was the royal mistress. Oh. Mm. Oh. Now, supposedly, Lavoisin had actually uh, implicated her during like this time when she was drunk, but nobody really cared. It was just when her daughter corroborated it after her death. Yeah. Suddenly, it was like, ah, <laughs> we can't have maybe, this. Maybe, uh, yeah. This isn't just the ravings of a drunk. <laughs> this is now public knowledge. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, uh, Madame de Monaspan, she grew up in kind of like lower mo- nobility. Uh-huh. She wasn't quite into the aristocracy, but they were up there. And she married into the aristocracy. Um. But what she really wanted was to be the king's mistress. Fair. Yeah. So in 1666, she went to Lavoisin and sought her help to replace Louise de la Villiers as, you know, chief mistress or official royal mistress of Louis XIV. Mm-hmm. Now, in uh, the following year, Lavoisin performed a black mass ritual for Montespan. Montespan. Yeah, I'm going to change how I say that throughout <laughs> because what French? I don't speak French. I think, and sometimes they say the T, and sometimes they don't. Montes Montespan. I think you say the T there. Montespan. That sounds so, more Italian, but whatever. It's all similar enough. <laughs> So, for Montespan, she performed this Black Mass in 1667, and later that year, would you know it, 
she became the king's official royal mistress. And during her time as official mistress, royal mistress, um, she gave birth to seven of Louis XIV's legitimate children. So this is different to like illegitimacy as we think of yeah. it. Because you would think legitimate is in the marriage, illegitimate is outside of it. But because it was such a thing in France, like the kings just could not keep it in their pants yeah. to the point that the public knew about it. And there was, you know, a, an actual position of royal mistress. Yeah. That when the kids had been born, they were legitimized yeah. as in like, yes, I claim these, these are mine. Yeah. They may inherit my wealth. Um, so, yeah. She had seven children who were legitimized. I think only four of them survived childhood. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, between 1669 and 1678, she had seven children. Damn. But in 1673, uh, Madame de Montespan... So I started to think that the king was, you know, losing interest in her and might find a new official mistress. So once again, she sought the services of La Voison mm-hmm. uh, to perform another series of black masses um, and get some aphrodisiacs and potions and stuff to rekindle the king's love. Mm-hmm. But she also made it clear that if the king were to lose interest in her, and if he left her for another royal mistress, she would kill him, and probably the mistress as well. Mm, yeah. So, you know. Um, yeah. So, Lavoisin was actually a little bit reluctant <laughs> as the years went by. Um, and she, she kind of had to be talked into it, uh-huh. convinced. Uh-huh. In uh, 1679, which is when uh, Louis XIV began a relationship with Angelique de Fontanges. Now, that is one I know you're going to tell me how to say properly. Oh, I don't know how it's spelled, so... F-O-N-T-A-N-G-E-S. F-O-N-T-A-N-G-E-S? Yes. Yes. Fantages? Fantage? See, that's what I thought, but it's the N that's fantages. I think it's fantage. So the N is silent. What is French is a stupid language. I don't like it. Yeah, it is. So, (laughs) yeah. 1679, Louis XIV began a relationship with Angelique de Fantage. And so... You know, Montespan was like, nah, no, I'm having it. He's not replacing me for another mistress. <laughs> I'm going to kill them both. Oh, shit. Yeah. She she eventually talked Lavoisin into helping her. Back in the day, you could actually go and talk to the king. Mm. And, you know, kind of like a town hall type of thing, open clinic. Mm. And so Lavoisin was going to deliver a poisoned petition to the king. Um, but the day she went, 
there were so many people there trying to deliver petitions and things to the king mm-hmm. that it was like, nah, nah, you're all going to have to go away. <laughs> There's too many of you today. Oh, God. So, Lavoisin gave the petition to her daughter, Marguerite, mm-hmm. and Marguerite burned it. And they then, you know, had to kind of have a conflab about, like, wait, okay, how are we going to do it this time? Uh-huh. Um, and some sources say that she actually provided poisons to uh, Madame Montespan every time the king took a new lover, even if she wasn't, like, anywhere close to being an official royal uh-huh. mistress. You know, there is there's rumors, legend that she still poisoned sort of anyone the king really looked at twice. That's probably a lot of people. Um, yeah, and you know that she always went to Lavoisin for her poisons. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously the king wasn't poisoned by a petition. Mm-hmm. But um, now that this information had been corroborated by Marguerite after her mother had been burned at the stake, um, the king kind of realised that soon everyone was going to find out that his, you know, entire upper circle, upper classes, upper echelons of Parisian society in his royal court, everyone was, you know, going around poisoning everyone and killing each other and it was just, it's not a good look <laughs> and he so he was worried for a number of reasons because you know there was civil unrest we're not quite at the revolution yet mm-hmm. but i think we're we're two are we two king louis away yes the 16 yes, 16 yeah, so we're still on Louis fourteen, so we're still two Louis away from the revolution, but people weren't really happy. <laughs> and he was worried that if the peasants realised that, you know, the entire royal court and upper echelons of Parisian society were corrupt, law-breaking, poisoning, murdering, <laughs> just, just all of that, that they might revolt. Or he was also worried that England, the lovely people that we are, would see it as a weakness <laughs> and invade. And given the history between France and England, I mean, I'm pretty sure that's a certainty. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Although we were kind of preoccupied with the Scots at that point as well. E, yeah. And our own civil war, I think, happened somewhere around then. <laughs> so I don't think it was really the English he had to worry about. <laughs> Oh, God. (laughs) So, at that point, he basically just hushed up everything. The entire affair of the poisons was was classified. No one was allowed to know about it. And um, so, yeah, there were 218 people were arrested. Now... Six, uh, 36 of those were executed uh-huh. um, and that's not including those that died under torture uh-huh. but the rest of them they were all imprisoned without trial for life fuck 
so it was like like kind of like a royal decree uh-huh. type of thing. There was a, a, a word for it, a let, letters de something. Let, letter de cachet. That's it. Um, which the king could sign and then like ev- like everyone who had been arrested as part of this poison network was just in prison for the rest of their life. So, And that includes uh, Lavoisin's daughter, Marguerite. Oh, wow. So she spent the rest of her life in prison. And female prisoners weren't allowed to be... Or female poisoners who were prisoners mm-hmm. weren't allowed to be guarded by male officers in case they used their sexuality or possibly black magic to escape. Oh, sure. <laughs> I'm like, really, men just really need to get a grip of themselves. Yeah. Not in that way. Uh, that's no, what they're wait, worried let's about. Start again. Hey. Yeah. Men just need to really use the brain up top. Yeah. Yeah. Not the one down below. Yeah. You gotta start thinking with that one. Yeah. Honestly. When you're guarding, you know, people who by royal decree have been locked up for life. <laughs> Um, so yeah so we don't actually know when Marguerite died we don't know what happened to her we assume that she spent the rest of her life in prison Mm -hmm. but because it was all hushed up so much there's like very little known about the prisoners and what happened to them after this this lettre de cachet what was it lettre de cachet was was done and everything so we don't really know much about Mm -hmm. them they were allowed to have heat like a a brazier type of fire thing Mm -hmm. in their cells Mm -hmm. in the winter well that's and that's one of the only times that they're mentioned in historical records after um 1680 wow so yeah now madame de montespan she was demoted <laughs> from uh, official mistress, royal mistress, after it was found that, you know, she was planning to kill the king and his new mistress. Yeah, that's fair. And, um, uh, what, what was her name? Angelique. Where, where I got, I've, lost, I've lost my piece of paper. Angelique, Angelique de Fontage. So she was... The king's mistress, but she died in 1681, so she was only around for a couple of years. And it's believed that it, she died from complications following childbirth oh. because she ha- she gave birth to a royal baby. Well, I don't know if it was a legitimate or illegitimate royal baby. Uh-huh. I don't know if this baby was legitimized. Um, but shortly after giving birth, she died. And Madame de Montespan... So she was demoted in 1680 to head lady-in-waiting to the queen. Um, And, you know, Louis XIV took on a new royal mistress. Mm -hmm. Um, But she she was kind of protected because she was the mother of these royal babies. Yeah. So she was kind of protected from the fallout of the affair of the poisons, and that's why it was hushed up so much. But she uh, she had fallen out of favour in the royal court, you could say. You would think. But she still worked. Uh, she was still, you know, in the court, royal court until 1691, 
which is when she retired to a convent and lived out the rest of her life until she died in 1707. Wow. Um, and when she died, her children were forbidden from publicly mourning her. Oh, ouch. Yeah, that was the that was uh, Louis the Fourteenth. He was like, nah, you're not allowed to wear black, you're not allowed to mourn, you're just going to, she's dead, deal with it. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, and, yeah. So, in sort of more modern uh, retellings, there have been allegations that the, uh, whatever Parisian law enforcement was in the late 17th century, mm-hmm. So I did like a, a ground search of the house and and gardens of Lavoisin's uh, home for unwed mothers, mm-hmm. and found the remains of two thousand five hundred babies. But these reports aren't confirmed. There's no like paperwork from the time mm-hmm. that survived to say this, and so it's kind of some people kind of believe it to be. It's just like a fabrication that's been really sensationalized. A bit like kind of Elizabeth Bathory and, you know, the hundreds and hundreds of girls that she supposedly yeah. killed. Um, whose, you know, remains were never found and things like that. No records of them ever existing, some mm-hmm. of them. So it's a bit like that. And nobody knows how many babies she supposedly sacrificed. But there's no record of you know two and a half thousand sets of remains being found in a garden in paris that does seem like an awful lot Mm. um and that is the story of uh la voisin and the affair of the poisons well half the story the affair of the poisons (laughs) the important bits um Comments, questions, compliments. <laughs> Very well done. That's a lot of damn people to just be like <laughs> imprisoned for the rest of their lives. Yeah. It's like nearly 200 people just like, yep, yeah, just lock them all away, cover it all up. My mistress didn't try to poison me. I am more powerful than the peasants. Yeah. So interesting. Also, the whole thing of like appointed mistresses, wild. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like the French, the very liberal. <laughs> yes, the French are something else entirely. Mm. Uh, I mean, they also strike and riot to get decent living conditions that we should really be embracing in this country. I mean, yes. So, you know. They have good points. I mean, they did get their revolution idea from my people, so, you know. Do we really need to talk about your no, people today? No, we're not going to do that. Um, Which kind of leads us on to, yeah, we're really pissed about the Supreme Court decision. We do not have the mental bandwidth to really explain how angry we are. 
but we're going to put resources and links and stuff in the episode description. Um, there are still states where abortion is legal. Yep. There are organizations that have been planning for this yes. for years. There are resources. Share, help, donate, do what you can. Yeah. Um, we and vote. Yeah, it's ridiculous and frustrating and all kinds of things. But um, yeah, do what you can. Know that there are resources available. Mm. And yeah, <laughs> fucking vote for the people who whose values you share. Yeah. Um. Yeah, we don't have a a, a little ending about anything today because we have no script. So. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um. So yeah, hopefully you enjoyed this very uh, rambling, unscripted story about poison in France. Um, just, a, just a laid yeah. back kind of episode, you know. Um. And we will be back next week at July. We actually have a theme yes, for July. Uh, sports crimes. I'm very yep. excited. Yep. A variety um, of sports, a variety of crimes. So. Yeah. VV excited. Yeah. Um, very excited. And it's my birthday. Yes, yes it is. Next yes. week. So we will uh, see you all yes. then. Thank you for listening. Uh We'll, we'll be around. See you later. Yep. Bye. Bye.